This podcast episode is powered by Afropods, the world's number one podcasting platform for African stories. My name is Jeriot Wakarima Mora. I'm the program lead for Youth Impact Labs, which is a youth employment program that is funded by Google.org and implemented by Marcy Corps in East Africa and Middle East. Here in East Africa, our approach is to work with innovators and to support innovators that are creating new work opportunities while leveraging technology. And we support them by providing grant funding, equity funding, and technical assistance to help them scale their platforms or the innovations that they have come up with. So far, I have been working with MySQL for the last two years on this program. Uh, we've supported a total of 10 uh, innovators in East Africa, um, ranging from uh, agriculture supply chain solutions to MSME support solutions, uh, digital commerce solutions, gig platforms, um, and across all those platforms, we have been able to create 1,500 work opportunities uh, and impact over 10,000 uh, beneficiaries through our support. Okay. Uh, uh, my name is Abiyot Pokasson of Rodrius, mm-hmm. the gig economy, Kenyan tech scene, mm-hmm. digitization, and uh, what you think about the future. All right. Uh, briefly, would you take us off the gig economy report was about? About four months ago, the gig economy platform um, report um, that was looking to un- 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 help people understand the gig economy in Kenya, understanding the building blocks of the gig economy. We did this as a first of a series of gig work reports that we want to release as a as a youth employment program. Um, where we want to share the lessons that we have learned and also uh, what we know about the gig economy in Kenya. Uh, the report was focused on first laying the building blocks or the pillars of the gig economy, um, telling people about what are the growth drivers, who is driving the gig economy, who is innovating around the gig economy, who is supporting the innovation that we are seeing in the gig economy, but also to take a sober look at what is working and what challenges are are being faced. We did so by interviewing innovators, interviewing investors and funders. We also interviewed employers and finally did um, forums to interview gig workers. And all in all took a very neutral standpoint in understanding what is working and what is not working, um, which we re-recorded in that report and also gave out a call to action on where we see more needs to be done. And that was specifically focused on where we see opportunities for funders and investors to support the growth of the gig economy, as well as employers to support the growth of the demand side. Okay. And uh, how, how do you feel is Masiko's role in promoting the gig economy? Uh, seeing that now, Kenya, Kenya, I think in terms of digitization and uh, adoption of technology, uh, in, uh, in sub-Saharan Africa, we are ahead, I can't say we are among the top 10. How do you feel your, your organization is promoting this now? I mean, we are here, digitization is here, it's either we adopt or we are left behind. And I've told you I've come with an Uber, yeah. which previously I would have gone, looked for a driver, car, yeah. let's go negotiate the fair but now with yeah. the touch of my phone. Yeah. Someone is there is employed, Uber is not Kenyan. How do you feel now your organization is helping to promote this, the gig economy? Right. Yeah. 
Um, as I mentioned, we are a youth employment program, and our approach is to support innovators that are developing solutions to youth employment. Um, and one of the biggest opportunities to solve our youth employment opportunities is through gig work. Um, gig work has been the norm uh, in the country, and there are a lot of people who identify themselves as gig workers, especially in the informal economy. But we are seeing increasingly uh, technology being leveraged to expand that market. Um, so far, we have supported uh, four uh, gig work platforms in East Africa. Um, specifically in Kenya, we supported two. Uh, one, which is a ride-hailing app for border border riders, and one that is um, supporting fundies to connect to clients. And so our support to date has been um, providing funding and providing technical assistance to this platform. Um, now, uh, having worked with these platforms for two years now, we are now taking a, a, a lead role in advocating for the gig workers. I believe that um, as development, as a development community, we have to take the forefront in not just supporting and funding, but also in being that bridge between the workers, the platforms, and the policy makers. So that as, as this economy grows, it grows inclusively, it grows uh, in creating good quality jobs um, that work and that are sustainable. Uh, we have uh, been releasing a lot of um, thought leadership pieces uh, in order to influence the direction in which the policy is going uh, with regards to worker protection and with regards to the policies and models that uh, innovators are coming up with so that we can ensure that gig work is not just a low-income work opportunity uh, for workers, but they are, as the innovators are coming up with these models, they're not pushing the workers' income down, but instead are creating a way to sustainably uh, ensure that the workers get at least minimum wage and get opportunities to grow their career paths while providing value to the clients. Okay. Uh, you said that you supported two in Kenya, mm -hmm. and Hailing app and Police. Yeah. You find the name which, which shows up there? Sure. Um, so the ride hailing uh, app is called Get Border. Um, when we met them, they, ha they already had developed an, an app that is connecting riders to clients. And they, specifically, their, their niche area is uh, courier. Um, so that is mostly supporting uh, social media entrepreneurs as well as e-commerce entrepreneurs to make that connection to their end, uh, to their end clients. Um, when we supported them, we're supporting them to optimize the route um, so that one rider does not have to sit and uh, spend uh, the whole day only doing two or three trips, but in order to optimize and know that three other people who are sending um, uh, packages to that direction and bundle them up. That way they get an additional income um, and also making a channel of, of, of connection to e-commerce platforms that are doing most of the uh, courier services uh, to end clients. That way, a rider who would have otherwise only earned 500 shillings by um, transporting people back and forth is able to earn a lot more because of the optimization and, and coming and aggregating uh, into a platform. And we have seen that what is needed in the gig work, as I said, gig work, has been the norm for a long time. And if we're going to take it forward and make it a quality a source of income for, for many people, there's need for people to be organized. 
Um, if you are an individual rider, you might not be able to get jobs from big e-commerce platform. But if you are under a platform, then that creates digital trust, that creates easier payment um, as you're dealing on a B2B uh, perspective. And that means more opportunities to increase income for existing riders. Our second um, partner is Link, L-Y-N-K, uh, which is a, a platform that is building an infrastructure for foodies. And they have over 70 categories on their platform, including cleaners, plumbers, electricians, um, designers, all sorts of uh, gig workers are on their platform. And what they provide is an infrastructure to first connect to the client, uh, to be able to communicate professionally to the client, uh, to get a payment gateways to ensure that the clients are uh, pay their workers. Uh, but also in addition to that, they are providing uh, access to loans and access to tools for these workers in order to help them uh, get larger value jobs, uh, but also in order to ensure that the client gets the best possible service. So for them, we are supporting them to ensure first they, they scale um, and get more plat uh, workers on their platform, but also improve the quality of work. And they've been doing a lot of great work uh, figuring out what kind of model works so that clients can uh, pay a premium um, for the work that they're giving, the guarantee that the workers that come to their houses are vetted, are good quality, and will deliver exactly what they say they will be able to do. And in that way, ensure that workers get consistent uh, jobs on the platform, but also that they are paid, um, at, they are able to actually make minimum wage on the platform. Okay. Uh, you've talked about the Bundi and the Boda Boda How do you think the Get Boda is different from something like Safe Boda? Yeah. Or the Uber Boda and what have you? Yeah. And how is Link, this one for Bundi, is different from Kuhaswabi? Mm -hmm. How is it different? And what made Masikov decide? That you will take, you will take get border to work with them and link. What what led you to that, and how different are they from the rest? Because they are already in the market. Exactly. Okay. Yes. Um, I think with safe border, they do individuals. So they are they are transporting people, not packages. Um, so the reason why when we went to to look for platforms in the transport sector, we specifically wanted courier platforms, is because. We know that the biggest employers in Kenya are the MSMEs. And so we're looking in all possible ways to find solutions to the constraints that micro and small enterprises are facing. And one of the ones that we had, especially from people who are trading, either they have a small shop in Nairobi or you know, trading over a social media platform, uh, connecting to their clients through WhatsApp, is that solution of how they will be able to get their goods to their final consumer is one of their biggest constraints. And so we wanted to find a solution that will not only create direct jobs, but also indirectly impact uh, what we consider the biggest employer uh, segment. And so that, that was the thinking behind why would we select um, you know, a, a, safe, a, a get border over a safe border. Um, with regards to Link, it is different from Kuhasu to the extent that Link is going for blue collar workers. And by blue collar, I mean it is the actual fundi, it is the actual um, carpenter or the plumber uh, that, 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 that is on their platform, as opposed to Kuhasa, where it's more of a, I don't want to say it's an online job, because it's 
developer uh, or a web designer that is on, on those platforms. But in our choice of link, uh, we do not compare link to Kuhaso, uh, but in our choice of link, we are looking for a platform that uh, shared our vision of trying to find a model that works for workers. So it is not just uh, sharing the numbers and saying, I have 1,000 gig workers on the platform, but a true commitment to these gig workers in the sense of building that infra infrastructure to make sure that they get all they need to thrive in this, in this uh, gig economy. And that is everything, all the additional work that they are doing around uh, training uh, and tools and, and access to loans was very exciting for us to want us to push them uh, to create quality jobs, which I believe will create the standards for all other platforms that are coming into this space. You know, at, the, at a very bare minimum, you have to bring value to their workers. Okay. Um, I'll come to my second part of the interview is about the Kenyan text. And uh, I like that you have uh, you have actually supported uh, a Get Broken Link, which are uh, Kenyan born initiatives. Mm -hmm. uh, why, why do you think? Why do you think? Or what do you think are some of the challenges such such uh, such apps or platforms are facing? Seeing uh, in this case, I want to assume our motif must power and not come on board. What do you think are some of the challenges uh, those people are facing in terms of uh, access to funds? Mm -hmm. uh, do you think that's a, that's a major challenge mm -hmm. for them? Yes, absolutely. Mm -hmm. and, I, and I don't think it's even unique to digital platforms. Okay. It's unique to all startups. Uh, it is, it's the norm for all startups in Kenya and all startups uh, in the world that fundraising is difficult. Um, because you know, funders want to see traction before they can put the money in it. Um, and where we see our role is we are willing to take the risk and we are willing to put the early stage financing if we believe in the vision that you have in the company. Uh, and we believe that our more development companies and more development organizations need to go this in this direction because there are a lot of great innovations in Kenya. There are a lot of great innovations to youth employment that have been released, but these innovators lack the critical initial early stage uh, funding in order to expand them. Um, and even beyond financing, so financing is a huge problem, um, but even much more than financing, I think the biggest problem that is facing uh, digital technologies that are coming up is access to market. Um, with every solution, it's just a great idea, or it's just a product, until it goes commercial, until people are willing to pay for that solution. Um, and in order for even these innovators to go on and get additional funding, they need to show that several people have, have paid for that, for the service that they are given. And that's a point where now we are um, supporting innovators to first find a way to very quickly um, pilot their innovations and find if there is a market for them but also encouraging employers, especially in the corporate sector, but also individuals to just be those early stage um, market. So if you hear a great innovation has come, just try it out. Uh, it doesn't have to have a big brand name, but try it out because that's how they learn, that's how they get their feedback to iterate and improve their innovations. But mostly that's how we support our own because these solutions, especially in gig work, it's a two-sided market. You cannot take on additional uh, gig workers on your platform unless there's a ready market that is willing to pay for the convenience. Um, but we have seen a lot of growth 
uh, in this sector, especially with access to market, with the emergence of Uber. Uh, initially, Uber did not have very many um, clients, but now everybody is comfortable getting an Uber. Um, and so there's a lot of digital barriers that have been have been broken. And now, you know, the, the, the path is really great for a lot of digital innovators to come in. I know first people are willing to take uh, take on digital solutions. People are willing to download your app. People are willing to pay a premium for convenience. Um, so that has been proven. It's about um, now time for innovators, especially Kenyan innovators, to take advantage of the progress that we have made in our digital space uh, in order to come up with better solutions. Okay, uh, I want to concentrate so much on the access to funds. Mm -hmm. I was talking to a lot in the Kenyan taxi, yeah. and you told me uh, uh, what we need to do to, to develop our own domestic, uh, domestic funding and domestic venture capitalists. We need to rethink mm -hmm. about things like grants and donor funds. And I'm happy that Masiko is, is, is actually leading that, that, uh, that change. Yeah. Uh, how, how do you feel you need to make donor, donor funds to be accessible to startups? Yeah. Rather than, because uh, a lot to think maybe what donors do, they come, mm -hmm. initiate a project in the community, maybe yeah. let's say something like water. Mm -hmm. They initiate them, they leave, they leave us there, but the, the project is not growing in a way that it will incorporate now more people as we move, because the platform, I think, that like this uh, link, the more it's growing, the more it's accommodating more, but the more we are alleviating more from. How, how now do we think about these donor funds and grants to be, to be uh, for lack of a better to be more economically viable yeah. uh, to fund such now startups and... Yeah. Yeah, and that they really yeah. want Yeah, and I think I think a lot of donor organizations are already thinking that way. In the sense that there's a huge push for sustainability. Yeah. There's a huge push that after the program ends, that whatever you have started continues, um, and therefore there is a big, you know, really big push for private sector engagement. Um, Marsico has been taking the lead. Uh, we have a social venture fund um, that has to date about 18, has, uh, 18 uh, portfolio companies. Um, and yes, there is a need for even more funds to be going to innovations and private sector innovations. I do not have um, partners or, or funders who are expecting me to return the money. And therefore, if I take a risk on a business, I am, I am able to you know, help them push it further. And if it fails, that is great as long as they, captures, they, they capture the lessons. Um, and therefore, it has, been, it has been an interesting journey um, helping Marsico to you know, convert into a more private sector focused approach. Um, it is not easy uh, just because of how donor, especially in institutional donors uh, like USAID and DFID are structured. Um, it is not easy, but I think there is a huge push in the donor community to go into sustainability, and I know we will see more of private sector engagement going okay. forward. Um, in the, in the, uh, you, you, your support for Link and Get for them, which are locally, uh, locally grown, uh, initiatives and startups. Now you've come on board. Yeah. You help them. They scale. 
how do we make them uh, them and uh, by the larger context in Kenya, mm -hmm. uh, Kenyan startups globally competitive? Mm -hmm. Seeing like something like Uber Justice, but it's not Kenyan, mm -hmm. but it's here and it's applicable here, but it's, uh, it's matching with our system. How now do we scale our, our own startups to global, uh, even globally? Can we first have an intra Africa? Can, can we now first, how do we grow them beyond our borders? Yeah. I think that's a great question because uh, there has been a lot of, I think, push, push for local innovations to go regional. And we have a lot of great examples of, of innovations like Africa's talking that have gone, have taken the Pan-African route. Um, and, and, and to love them because it is not easy. You know, people think that if it works in Kenya, it should work in Uganda and Tanzania, and it's not always that easy. And it comes from the very beginning at the very onset, the frameworks and the models that you put in place and inter internal operation system that you put in place, whether they are scalable uh, beyond international boundaries. And what we are doing to support um, our innovations is to ensure that we give technical assistance. Um, we require a lot of from entrepreneurs. You know, these entrepreneurs running the day to day. This entrepreneur is managing, you know, huge teams of people. Uh, is dealing with the clients, and in addition to that, we want this entrepreneur to think strategically on regional growth. Um, and and it is it is it's a lot of it requires a lot of skill. And so we are our approach is dual, where we provide funding, but we also provide technical assistance. And we do that in two ways where we, we have an in-house team uh, that provides business strategy support, uh, but we also hire uh, technical experts uh, on behalf of our, of our partners to ensure that they get the strategic and specialized support that they require. Uh, we are also funded by, we are funded by Google.org, and so we have access to Google volunteers who also support our partners. Um, and therefore, you know, coming from a recognition that, yes, we would want to push our innovations to go global, but it requires a lot of support um, and being sober about, you know, the timelines I will take for innovations to go, to go global and making sure that as they scale, they scale in a way that doesn't break them, but they get the support that they need to, to go global. But yes, we are really excited to see uh, some of our innovators that are thinking about um, exploring other regional markets, and we are really supporting them, giving them the technical support that they need as they go to, especially as they go to countries where, as Marcy called, we have local presence. Okay. Um, okay, another thing, uh, how, how do you feel uh, the gig economy will close the unemployment gap? Uh, Kenya, Kenya, at the moment, we are around 30, what, 38, 40% mm -hmm. of the youth? Uh, unemployed yeah. and um, what's, what's really intriguing for me, mm -hmm. it's not that we lack the skills. Mm -hmm. uh, people have skills out here, yeah. but there's no job job to match that. Mm -hmm. On the same question of the uh, unemployment, mm -hmm. do you feel that we are we receiving jobs as you because we, we, there's a talent skill mismatch? Mm -hmm. yeah. For instance, Masiko bought a, a, computer, a computer guy, but there's someone with IT. Is it that what this farm wants mm -hmm. in terms of IT is mm -hmm. different from what that guy is offering. Yeah. Is that is that leading to higher than employment? Mm -hmm. And how now, if, if if at all that is that is uh, that is the case, how now we how now do we utilize the gig economy to solve to solve this? Yeah, now KCS is almost doing. Uh, they are finishing this week or yeah. next week. Yeah. 
it will be held. Those are other people, they yeah. meet others for last year. University is the same. Yeah. Now, now we're plugging this, this, this cohort into the gig economy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you've asked several questions. So I would start with what do I think is causing unemployment? Okay. I honestly think that we, are, we simply have high unemployment rates just because our economy is not growing fast enough to create these work opportunities. We are not creating enough work opportunities um, in the economy. And so it's not a question of there are people, you know, there are few, there are few high level positions where employers are struggling um, to get good people who are skilled people for those particular positions. But in most part, the employers that we have talked to and interviewed have said, you know, for every position, there are at least 1,000 people who are applying for it. And out of that, there are a good number of people who are qualified for it. And so they are spoiled for choice. Um, and, and this is to show that there are just, you know, not enough opportunities for all the young people that we are, we are um, churning every year, especially from our education system. That said, um, we cannot just sit, if you have competition uh, that is this high, then young people have to upskill themselves. Young people have to bridge the gap in order to, to be competitive in this market. Um, and we are looking at gig economy from a different perspective. From an online work perspective, um, where we are looking at uh, gig work as, you know, these people on Upwork, on Kuhaso, uh, on Fiverr, who are looking for opportunities that are global. Uh, where the client is probably not sitting in Kenya, uh, that's a great opportunity to create, uh, to tap into opportunities that are outside of our, of our, of our borders, right? Um, but then there, there's high, there's a lot of competition, especially with India and other countries that have really uh, gone ahead of us and have really upskilled themselves. And so, from that perspective, yes, there's a skill gap. If you're trying to compete uh, with India, especially on IT, there's a skill gap. Um, and, and there, there aren't too many people who can do what, um, you know, what they're doing on, on IT there. Um, but then also we have other levels of gig work, like the blue, um, in the, in the blue, blue collar jobs, right? Uh, so where all I need is a fundi, right? Um, and, and there, I think there are enough skilled workers out there, but they are either not packaging themselves right, um, or they are not. Uh, they do not have the soft skills to, to yield that confidence that they are going to do the right job. Um, and of course, there are a lot of, you know, workers who say that, you know, fundis who, can, who say they, they can do everything and really they cannot do everything that are uh, making, you know, depleting trust among clients. Um, and so there, I think, it's not even so much a technical skill issue, but it's so much there's a soft skill gap. Um, and, and what platforms such as Link are doing in providing that infrastructure, they are upskilling these people, they are training these people, they are training them on how to communicate, how to price, how to um, you know, get to the client site on time, uh, clean up on their way out, um, you know, and, and communicate with these clients so that they feel comfortable to bring them on the job. And, and, and such things are, are, are really helping uh, with that. But that said, yeah, at least 800 people who are joining the labor market. Um, and so we have to think, how do we create uh, opportunities for There are less than 100,000 formal jobs that are being created, um, and, and that leaves the informal work, and that creates the opportunity for gig work. 
Um, and so how we are looking at it is with technology, then how do we expand the market for gig workers? And, and, and a great example I like giving is with Uber, because when Uber came, they first displaced taxi drivers. And so the first few jobs, we can't say they created jobs, they simply made people who are offline become online gig workers. Um, but then over time, they have expanded the market. There are more people who are using taxis now that they would, that would have never used a taxi uh, five years ago, right? Um, and so they have they have created an opportunity for more people to join uh, the, the the taxi business. Um, and that way, that's how we are looking at you know more of link, more of gig platforms, more of rider apps, more of this technology that then expand the market so that we can be able to absorb even more um, young people. Um, we also know that MSMEs are the greatest employers. We are saying um, we are seeing a shopkeeper can at this point only employ one person. But if we support them, if we uh, help them overcome the financial barriers, if we help them overcome the market access barriers uh, through e-commerce, if we help them uh, overcome uh, the talent uh, and, and, and skill barriers for the entrepreneur through training, then they can expand into an even bigger shop or even a supermarket. And instead of employing one person, they can employ 10 other people. And that's how we're going to create entry-level jobs for all these uh, people who are joining the, joining the labor market right now. Yeah. Uh, I like that you're, you're, you're mostly focusing on how we, we can leverage of technology and digitization to, to, bring, to bring all these people on board, which brings me to my third question, mm -hmm. which is on digitization. Yeah. Um, what are some of the incentives mm -hmm. we can offer to promote adoption of the gig economy? Mm -hmm. Seeing things like uh, manufacturing, mm -hmm. manufacturing, they have tax incentives, mm -hmm. they have special economic zones, mm -hmm. uh, sometimes I don't know, power is, is rated with a regime, mm -hmm. you know. Mm -hmm. How do we offer incentives? Of course, for um, um, I want to assume people like this are link. Mm. They had the idea. Mm. They they had the the people who they were starting with, but maybe they uh, they were unable to scale to reach more more numbers or maybe scale. Uh, I want to assume they are based in Nairobi. How can they now go to Nakuru and uh, all across Kenya? How, what are some of the incentives now you have to offer to fundies in Nakuru or Kisumu mm. so that they can come to this platform? Mm. And about what they are doing because they are all anywhere I, I work. So what's the benefit of this or what are some of these things that uh, they can bring these people here? Yeah. That's a great question because inclusivity has been one of the challenges that we have raised okay. um, in the gig economy. Um, and there is that danger that we are going to create even more inequality um, as we leave some people behind in the digital wave. Um, you mentioned, and, and you can look at it from the three levels. One is the platform. You know, what incentives does a platform have to expand regionally or even to become more inclusive and, and, and create more opportunities for both genders? Uh, and there, there, there are two ways. Um, one is just a good regulatory uh, environment, right? Um, there's a lot of uh, talk of, you know, how much can, can, can the government be involved in the digitization? Um, and I think the government has done a great job uh, to date in, in building the infrastructure and in supporting um, telecommunication and internet adoption and um, you know, allowing us to be able to even access smartphones. 
There's a lot that has been done that has gotten us to this point, but there's much more that can that should be done, um, especially if we are going to expand this outside of the urban cities. Because um, it is easy to to sit and point fingers and say, you know, why aren't these uh, technologies going to rural areas? But in rural areas, there's no internet. In rural areas, wow, there's no power. Um, in rural areas, the income levels are so low that most people do not have smartphones. So with with you know if that is what they're dealing with then they will continue concentrating in urban areas and so there's a lot that can be done especially with infrastructure uh to ensure that we are taking infrastructure to rural areas um just so that the platforms then when they go then they have a good base to start on uh, when it comes to clients um i think we have seen in kenya you know we are we are, we are market leaders when it comes to adoption of of, of digital solutions um, but that said, there's much more that can be done um, from the client side. Uh, I know, you know, one of the census questions that they were asking is, have you purchased anything on an e-commerce platform uh, in the last three months? And, and that's a very important thing because that shows as much as you have a smartphone and you have internet, there are people who still haven't overcome that digital uh, trust or mistrust um, and are not are uh, utilizing the, are not, you know, being the market for these digital solutions. And, and there, there's a lot that can be done by, especially by platforms to create that trust, to ensure that they deliver on exactly what they say. When I buy something on Jumia and it looks like this, when it comes to me, it needs to look exactly how it looked on yes, the, yeah. on, on that platform, because that's how we are, we are building uh, digital, uh, digital trust. Um, and, you know, and a lot that can be done uh, with regards to lowering the, the cost of internet. Uh, because I know that is that is a huge barrier. As much as most people have uh, smartphones, a lot of people turn on on some days, and and some they're not able to sustain having their data on uh, throughout the day and every day. Um, and so that could also go a long way to to getting more people to utilize digital solutions. When it comes to workers, and I think that is the easiest of them, because workers just want work, right? If you are a carpenter, all you want is a is work. So if I tell you that you will get work if you go on an online platform, they will do just that because they're seeing the value of that, right? Um, but then there's the downside of will the incomes that they're getting on these platforms minus the transaction fees still be worthwhile for them? Um, and that is something that you know the platforms need to, to balance off um, in order to make sure that the workers are, all, are protected. And, and they're getting more value by being on the platform than they would have gotten if they were off the platform. Um, but I think a lot of good, uh, good work has gone into that. And we are seeing, you know, even from, from our experience working with these platforms, you know, they, are, they have a lot of demand from workers who want to go, to go on the platform. And, and, and that has not been a big barrier. Now, what we need to balance off is getting more clients, you know, getting getting uh, access to the, to the services and products on the online platform so that it can balance off the two sides. Um, okay, I like, I like your approach to the one you touched on inclusivity. Mm -hmm. uh, how, how do we ensure as we digitize, mm -hmm. we are not leaving some people behind? Mm -hmm. And um, okay, first answer on that one. How do we ensure no, we are not leaving? Because what I'm seeing, uh, I'm used to Uber, Uber, let's say for the, let's, I can give you my statistics for this year. Mm -hmm. I've never been carried by a woman, yeah. Uber driver. I've just said, I've not met a, a woman, Uber driver. Yeah. Uh, 
I think the challenge has actually been that as Kenyans, as Africans, that we still, uh, our, how we, we choose the jobs we do are still very determined by gender, okay. right? It is very rare to find a woman fundi or a woman carpenter. Right, and you were seeing a lot of women are in the domestic and cleaning work, um, and so it is not about the platforms being biased. It's about if I open, if I do an open call right now, and I say I want fundies, most likely it's only men who will come, right? And so if they're if from the training bit, from the colleges, from the polytechnics, from the universities, we are not training women on technical on this technical. And you know, even in the job market, there will there will be none, right? Um, that said, there's a lot more that can be done by these platforms to ensure that we are encouraging women, especially the women who are making career decisions now, to first know that they will not be discriminated, that there will be opportunities for them, um, and there will be a safe environment for them to work. So it is. You know, if, if I, for example, I want to be a plumber and I'm a woman, if I know that I will be given the support and the tools that I need in order to do the work safely, then I'm more likely to make that decision to go and do plumbing when, I, when, I, when I'm, I'm choosing which career path to go to. Uh, what this has translated to is when we look now at the incomes. So what we did in, in our report, we were trying to see um, how much income is generated by uh, gig workers on these platforms. And so when we did that comparison by gender, women are making the smallest fraction from this gig economy. And the reason is because women are increasingly choosing low-income low jobs. Women are in increasingly um, finding themselves going into cleaning and care, uh, which compared to even being a plumber is a low-skill job. So maybe a cleaner is given uh, for a full day's job uh, 600 shillings. A plumber will probably make that 600 shillings in an hour. Um, and so, you know, it's, it's something that is coming from, you know, much more than the platform where we just need to encourage more women. To, um, and, and knowing that some of, some of the jobs will be taken over with automation, um, we need to help our young people who are making career decisions now to make the right choices, to choose more of jobs that are high value, to choose more of jobs that are going to uh, exist in 10 years, 20 years from now, because it would be very unfortunate for them to continue investing um, in getting education and skill in jobs that will be phased out in a, in, a, in a few years to come. Okay. Um, still on the same issue, you, you talked about uh, automation leading to job loss. Yeah. I was talking to my friend, uh, he's around 20, 28, 29, 30. Okay. How do we revolve around that? How do we make sure I'm lacking that for it? Yeah. 
how do we make sure this technology? We are not only we are not adopting, but we also not only so inclusive, but we also not losing too much uh, yeah. Yeah. in uh, to automation. How do we go about that? First, I think it's too early for Kenya to be worried about this. I think I think digitization and automation is going to lead to job losses. That is the plain truth. Um, and there's nothing we can do about that because people cannot continue doing things manually yes. that can be automated and done more efficiently. Um, and, and that's just where the future is going. There are jobs that existed 30 years ago that do not exist now and we are still surviving, right? Um, I think digital, we are not yet there in, in Kenya and Africa. We'll continue seeing some of these manual jobs to continue to persist at least for another decade. Uh, for sure, just in the rate in which automation is, is coming to our country. That said, we still have to be smart about get, getting ahead of the curve and, and, and making informed decisions on our career choices. Um, something as simple as we all know that, you know, just learning programming is the next thing. It will be the next most sought after job. Data science will be the next most sought after job then the young people then need to take that initiative to ensure that they learn these skills. That it is not enough for you to go and do a four-year degree yeah. uh, in accounting if you do not know how to program. Because it will come a point where nobody will require you to do the math <laughs> manually. They just need you to be able to program a software and the accounting uh, itself, um, software does all the work. Um, and so that, that informs, you know, where our TVETs, where our colleges need to go in terms of training, but also because our education system will not evolve fast enough for young people to know that they need to take initiative to get ahead of the curve. And, and there are a lot of programs out there we've supported. In addition, uh, one of the uh, 10 partners we have is um, Moringa School, which is uh, a school that is uh, training uh, young people and software development. And it's something, and for most, actually most of their uh, students are people who've gone through uh, college, people who've gone through universities, they've been trained, they've done a four-year degree, but they know they need more in order to remain competitive in this market. And they have gone for a, a five-month course in order to upskill themselves and become more competitive in the market. And there are a lot of also uh, Google, uh, who is our donor, also have digital um, training skills, uh, training uh, programs. And there are a lot of these uh, programs, whether it's online, uh, some of them are for free, that need that young people just need to take to take advantage of. Um, and and that said, uh, you, it it there's a balance there with inclusivity. Right, because as much as we are saying, you know, people need to take the initiative to upskill themselves, we also know that there are people who are really disadvantaged. There are people who, up to this day, they do not have access to a laptop. They do not have access yeah. to to uh, that. And and I think the government has done a great job taking lead uh, with the ICT centers um, that they have set up in the counties. But much more needs to be done to ensure that uh, those who have ability to go and upskill themselves are able to do so but then those who do not have the financial or structural access to uh, to basic can go to yeah to government sponsored spaces um, and are able to upskill themselves so that they're not left too far behind okay uh, that being said uh, 
What are some of the structural reforms you think as a country Kenya should be taking yeah. to support research and innovation? Yeah. Because uh, gig economy, as you have said, you are finding someone has a four-year course in accounting, yeah. but beyond that, they they can't even program, even maybe some are not familiar with computer packages. Yeah. Now, what are some of the structural reforms you need to to, to take? Because I think uh, the gig economy, for it not to be where we, we are thinking or we want it to be, it has to have the workers. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It has to have the technical assistance. It has to have the you know, it's a whole ecosystem, and the ecosystem requires everyone to play their part. Uh -huh. What are some of the structural reforms do we take now to support this? Yeah. yeah. Um, so, from structure, just taking like uh, from the basic definition of we need infrastructure, okay. and we need infrastructure. Um, we need a plan to get infrastructure to the places that it needs to go, and I think that is something that needs to be taken um, into account even in government policies, as they make decisions. We love roads, we should get roads. But much more, we need technology to, to be able to go to geography, to, to other rural areas, and to be widespread. I need to be able to know I can get affordable internet from anywhere. I need to be able to have access to electricity from anywhere. And that, as a bare minimum, will set us up for, for success as innovators uh, in this continent. Um, the next and most important one is our education. Um, and I think a lot has been said about all the education reforms that we, we need to have, and, and government has done a great job uh, trying to change that from, from a primary level. Um, but even in our tertiary level, we need to see much more. And I think it's mostly even the students need to require much more from their institutions um, because I think it's also, you know, very unfortunate for any for any student to have gone through school for four years and live without the skills that are demanded by the market. Um, and so, for our tertiary education, is more understanding what the market needs and where the market is going, and, and preparing the students for that, um, and knowing that that requires a cost and an investment for them, and and getting the support that we require from uh, development agencies and government in order to ensure that every young person who leaves the education system is well equipped to for the future of work. Okay. Um, on my final question on digitization, mm -hmm. um, as I told you, my friend was worried about this digitization yes. thing. Yeah? Yes. Uh, seeing that uh, my Uber driver here, mm -hmm. he's, uh, they lack something we call like a minimum wage. Yeah. Minimum wage, you find that in a government institution or informal, there's what you call minimum wage. Do we have that in gig economy? Yeah. Uh, do we have social protection in, in uh, gig economy? And um, in terms of, you talked about incomes. How do we ensure now these people are getting more value in this gig economy yeah. than they were doing before? Yeah. Yeah. It is hard to do some of these reforms in the gig economy. So the, the, your, your, the answer to your question is no. We do not have social protection. We do not have minimum wage requirements. Uh, we do not have any dispute resolution mechanisms in the gig economy. Okay. Um, and that is that. Uh, there's a lot of, uh, from other markets, um, push to, regu to regulate the gig economy uh, and to put social protection measures and to put uh, you know, minimum wage measures and all that. It is difficult in the gig economy because the whole point of the gig economy is that it's independent work. You, you work when you want, 
you work where you work. Yeah. And so if I can, I can sit and put a minimum and say, at a minimum, we need you to get 13,000 every month. But what if I choose not to work? Then who, who gets the call for that, right? Um, and then there's also that balance with the market, right? Um, I can get, a, say, a carpenter to do a piece of furniture that I want at 5,000 shillings independently, not on a platform. If I am going to get this, to go to a, to a platform to get the services of a carpenter, then the variance cannot be so high, right? And so the moment we say they have to put in place uh, social protection measures, that comes at a cost. So will that cost be passed on to the client? Is the client willing to pay a premium um, in order to ensure that their social protection issues uh, have been taken care of? So it's not an, it's not an easy topic. Um, the government has been you know, having task uh, forces to think around these issues. And, and, and mostly they're thinking about how do we actually tax um, uh, gig workers and, and digital workers. But I think there needs to be a more robust conversation about how to make the model work, you know, how to make the model sustainable while still making sure that the workers are protected. Um, that said, we have seen a lot of um, good... Uh, results uh, from the platform. If we do a comparison of how much they are, the workers on these platforms are earning versus how much the workers are earning uh, were earning cumulatively offline, we are seeing um, uh, an improvement. And, and this is because with the platform, what I'm doing is I'm aggregating work. So if I am, for example, a, a plumber and I am able, you know, I have a a poster on a tree somewhere saying for plumbing services call this number and you know 10 times a month I'm able to get a plumbing job on this platform then I'll probably be able to get 20 jobs uh, in that month and for that for that reason uh, only they're able to get uh, better incomes whether we can translate that into minimum wage or call that a minimum wage for that task it has not yet been done uh, what has been done in other countries is just saying like the minimum wage for a particular task, and then you'd have to do it per task and per hour, um, so that as they, as these platforms are pricing the work, or even as individual uh, gig workers are pricing the work, they know they have a, a you know a guidance system. So as much as the client would want to bargain, they know that you know we can't go beyond uh, beyond, beyond this. And it's a it's a difficult conversation. Um, we as a development organization have been taking lead. Um, in uh, sitting in those um, forums uh, to make sure that all sides are hard and especially the worker side are, is hard so that uh, we do not have uh, situations like we've had in some platforms um, in the Western world where they're really pushing uh, the prices down and really hurting um, the worker. Because uh, from my own experience, I've done, uh, have you heard of online writing? Yes. yes like I've done that. And what I used to see, you usually have like a base, base price for yeah. a particular, what you are saying, uh, what you are saying about per task. A task yeah. is, is, uh, is, so quanti is so quantifiable to a minimum, mm. minimum, the minimum, minimalist you can do. Mm. And then that minimalist is, is quantified and then it's priced. Yeah. Can we see like the same? How now do we go about the same for like now? Uber, Uber, how now can we go to that? 
you 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 reduce this one to the smallest unit it can go. Yeah. Then from this smallest unit we can price. Then our if at all someone does a big, we can now quantify according to this small 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 units. Yeah. Then the price. Then we can say how do we go about uh, are you, are you, do you think it's, it's difficult with digitization to do that i think just the because it's we're talking about a large number of different tasks it's no one task we're not saying just driving or we're not saying just cleaning or just plumbing we are talking about very so it's going to be difficult not impossible not impossible but it's going to require a lot of people to come to the table um, and not just the government setting a price but uh, the platforms and the clients to be on the table and the, and the workers to be on the table because one of the things that we have seen even um, have been, even the biggest challenge we've seen uh, with Uber and, and, and transport services is taking into consideration that it's not just the income right so you can do the base income but I have also other expenses Right, there are other expenses. I am servicing a loan, um, or I am also getting the, the maintaining the car and fuel costs and all that. So you cannot simply say that because you're paying me two hundred or two hundred per hour, and it is and it, it it you know it is aligning to whatever would be minimum wage. You cannot fail to account that I am using. And of course, and even for for something like even a plumber, there's also the cost they're coming. They are buying the tools themselves. They are using their own transport to get to the client side. So there are a lot of factors that need to be taken into account and there's no simple solution, but there is, it's definitely a conversation that needs to be had because we have seen, especially uh, with online writing, that it's easy to go to a race to a bottom where now workers start undercutting each other. So maybe the first worker quoted 500 shillings for this job, the other one just quotes 400 shillings just so that they can get the job. So it is easy to go to a race to the bottom, um, but we are you know, trying to counter to say, yes, there is need for having a conversation, so there is a bare minimum and, and workers do not undercut each other um, while making the models sustainable. Um, that said, there is also, you know, we are really advocating for, I'd say, a career path, right? Uh, where gig work should be supplementing um, your other work. Um, and most of the workers that we talked to, you know, we talked about their aspirations. And whether it's an aspiration for to become entrepreneurs, uh, where we are seeing an Uber driver wants to own their own car, and so they take more... More, more of the uh, of the cut of the pie, um, and they don't have to pay, you know, the car and all that. Uh, or whether is taking this to supplement the other former jobs, or uh, taking gig work to supplement, uh, or, or as a pathway to become, you know, better entrepreneurs. But there is need for that talk of what is the career path, um, because how gig work has been built today is getting you an entry level job, right? Um, it, it may not be sustainable for you to continue being in the gig work forever. Okay. Um, and so you, there needs to be a career pathway of upskilling people where you do, maybe you start as, as a low level plumber, you know, charging minimum uh, cost for that particular task. But can you be upgraded to a master plumber because you have done X number of jobs and you have a lot of experience where I'd be willing to pay a premium for you to give you a more complicated job. Um, and so there are needs to, and, 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 the path, and the platforms are a great opportunity for that. 
creating that pathway that people are able uh, to lift themselves uh, from just making a minimum wage into making more meaningful income. Uh, and in that case, uh, if, if, if you are promoting a career path, mm -hmm. what I used to, to see in your writing is that there's that beginner, yeah. and your price is lower. Yeah. But as you go and you go, you've done like a thousand projects, mm -hmm. your pay is higher, your mm -hmm. premium. Yeah. Uh, how now do we introduce Do we go the rating way? Yes. Like uh, if yeah. you've done uh, like a PPR five star, if you yeah. want to do three star, is that the way to go? And if that's the way to go, what are other ways we can we can include so that we can see the progress of this years come to like the plumber came today to Masiko, is that Safaricom, is that Toyota? How now do we incorporate those? Um, is it uh, to do with customer feedback? How yeah. now do we incorporate that into this platform so that now these people can get that career path as you're saying? Yeah, yeah. Um, and linked. Link when they when they started they used to say their slogan was linked in for the linked out, okay. um, which is creating that digital CV, creating that digital um, information that shows this is what the customer feedback the the clients have said about me and using that getting uh, better prices, um, and they've done a great job at that where. You know, people who are come highly rated and have a lot of positive feedback from clients are able to get better, better rates. Um, and we are taking to see we're seeing this as a balance. There's a there's a two there's a pros and cons of rating system. So first, great for pathways. It means you know, as I become a more experienced uh, technician, then I'm able to charge more. The downside is what happens to this person who's just joined straight from school. They don't have a rating. Okay. Does it mean they will never get a job? Does it mean, because we are very experience-based job market. Even when you, you see uh, people, even in the formal uh, market, people say, I want somebody and I want them to have 10 years uh, experience. Yeah. Because we are very experience-based market. Um, we do not, maybe to, to some extent, trust that you have been educated enough in theory that you would know how to do it. We want to know that you have done it uh, practically in the past. Um, and so it's creating that balance for, yes, rating and get more jobs. The people who've done a good job should get more jobs, but also creating an opportunity not done a job to be able to get into the job market. And I think as we see more people embracing... Um, to become platforms, then there'll be somebody who will say, you know, I do not mind getting an inexperienced uh, technician to come and do this job. Uh, and then there'll be others saying, like, this is too important to me. I have invested too much in this. I want to get the master at this, and I'm willing to pay a premium for it. Okay. Uh, on our final part of the interview, it's about the future. Yeah. Okay. Uh, what are some of the emerging opportunities mm -hmm. that you've been here for two years at yeah. the Impact Lab? Yeah. What are some of the emerging opportunities you are seeing uh, Kenya youth and uh, players in the gig economy can partake mm -hmm. to, to grow their gig what, and their participation mm -hmm. in the gig economy? What are some of those opportunities you are seeing great. from where you sit? Gig, the gig economy is a great solution for youth unemployment in Kenya, for the context that we have, um, especially because ideally we would want everybody to get a formal job, but we are not creating enough formal jobs. And so gig jobs and breaking those jobs into ways, you know, 
where we can get uh, more people to contribute uh, and do the things that they love when they want, where they want independently from the comfort of their home. Um, and also as we are getting more millennials joining the job market who want, who cherish that flexibility and independence, we, we are seeing that uh, increasingly a gig economy is becoming a solution to youth unemployment. Um, so we think the future is going to be bright for the gig economy. Uh, that coupled with uh, increased technology adoption, uh, increased use of smartphones, increased digital trust, um, and we are seeing more clients and corporates um, you know, willing to buy services online, we know uh, we, and we are projecting that the gig economy will grow exponentially. It will grow at least faster than um, informal work opportunities okay. have grown. Um, our call to action is then now coming back to the funders uh, because we know that there are a lot of solutions out there uh, and tech platforms that are helping to organize gig workers um, so that there's a one-stop shop where I can get the service I need. Uh, one-stop shop where I know I'm getting that infrastructure and easy payment, easy access to, to workers. Um, so call to funders to support more of those platforms. Um, call to funders to uh, be at the forefront to, to give the initial early stage patient capital that they need in order to grow. There's also a very strong call to platforms to become more inclusive. I, uh, the gig economy has been plagued by all the, 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 the bad news that we've gotten about, about Uber um, and, and worker strikes, uh, which is plaguing the direction in which um, gig economy is going. And so a call for platforms to be more inclusive to think about their workers, to put their workers at, at, at the core and at the, at the forefront to ensure that the workers are protected. Um, and again, also a call to policymakers to ensure that the policies that they are making do not stifle this uh, economy as it grows, as, as it's taking off. Um, and, and, and the policies that are being made, that they are not just handed down and, and, and imposed on their players, uh, but increasingly that they are brought to the table to give their perspective. Uh, so that as we are regulating, we protect both the platforms and we protect the workers, and we ensure that the government also is able to, to, to get uh, some income out of it. Um, finally, where do you see the Kenyan gigs in the next three years, plus maybe 2022, 2023? Mm -hmm. Where do you see us now? Now that um, I like that you are, your organization has supported too. Yeah. Uh, are you seeing like more will come? Will, will we get more innovative? Will we be solving more of our problem technologically? Where, where, where do you see us in the next three years? Absolutely. Um, the, the trajectory with which Kenya took on technology adoption and digitization meant that it will come with it a lot of technology solutions to our everyday problems. So yes, I expect a lot of new innovations to mushroom. Um, I expect the market to even grow even bigger um, as more people are willing to, to get jobs uh, online. Um, and with the advent of millennials, I expect more, more young people will be mindfully and deliberately choosing to be gig workers as opposed to former workers. Um, and that will make, will push the growth of the gig economy even further. Okay.
And I think that was all for our interview today. Thank you very much. It's been an amazing guest. Asante. Thank you.